Hello and welcome to the Daft Souls podcast. Today I'm joined by Mr. Quentin Smith. Hello. Brendan Caldwell. Hello. And bonus. We usually have three people, we've got four today for reasons that you might be able to guess. We also have Mr. Paul Dean. Hello. And yes, we've just been finishing uh, doing a bunch of shut up and sit down stuff for the day, doing the gold club assembly, bleeding, ink, etc. But now we're going to take a break and talk about some video games. So what have you been playing this week, Quince? Uh, I have finally tried Hearthstone. There's a game that's fine. Yeah, I'm interested in your thoughts on Hearthstone, because I know that within the games press, Hearthstone gets a lot of love, and I kind of think there's a bit of a blizzard effect. It is. Well, uh, credit where it's due, Hearthstone is so gorgeous. It's just covered in that uh, special blizzard source where the UX is just astonishing, you know, like from unpacking a new pack of cards or just playing the game. Cards explode and pop, and when you kill your opponent, it ex- your opponent explodes in a crater, which is, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Um, but into the other card game I've been playing recently is actually Card Hunter, which, Paul, you reviewed for Eurogamer? I did, for Eurogamer. Um, a while ago now, back, I don't know, springish, I think it came out, and I was in the beta for absolutely ages, and I played it quite a bit. So, just, I'm interested in comparing the two, because while they're not kind, quite similar, they're both free-to-play card games, yes. and I feel like Card Hunter is as exciting as Hearthstone is boring and, <laughs> and also Hearthstone is as gorgeous as Card Hunter is kind of lo-fi Card Hunter is lo-fi uh, deliberately to give the impression that you are with friends sat around a table playing a kind of a and d ish board game yeah and that's what I found like, charming how you do an adventure yeah. module and it opens the book and then there's weird stuff like I think I laughed out loud when the pizza girl arrives and it set up the romance between your GM uh, and the pizza yes <laughs> I thought that was sweet and you it's know. not it's fine actually it's not bad at all yeah um, I cringed when it happened but I'm like it's all right. It's not as bad as I thought it was. I was no. like, oh, God. It's done okay. It's, it's done, done in an right. awkward way rather than in a kind of a narrow-minded way, right. which is good. But generally, the deck-building kind of stuff in um, uh, Card Hunter is, is really interesting, whereby you equip items on your heroes and the items give them cards. And Matt, you were pointing out how it's interesting yeah. in PvP because if a really bad card like Clumsy gets played, you know it's because they've got some super yeah. axe, which... It's the fact that you can't tweak your deck to a tremendous motorcycle action there. Don't know if yeah, that's... Oh, it's quite interesting. Sometimes you sort of think, oh, God, but then it doesn't actually pick up as much as you think. Anyway, um, yeah, you have got these weird card combinations the fact you can't custom build a specific hand like you know if you if you want the best cards then they come on equipment that also has have bad cards so if you see one of those bad cards pop up because they have to be played as soon as they're drawn to the hand you kind of go okay I'm staying away from that guy then because you know especially sometimes it's like boom boom which means they've just played two bad cards you're like what the fuck are they? Like, and it's just like, you just see this little dwarf very, very eager to try and get as close to you as possible. And it's like, no, no. <laughs> you're not standing next to me because you're probably going to kill me. Right. So then on the other side of things, we've got Hearthstone and it's, let's, let's be frank. It's Magic the Gathering sort of with a lot of tweaks. Um, it's got the summoning minions. It's got spells. It's got kind of uh, enchantments. And then the tweak is that rather than having to play lands, which give you mana, mana is a resource that ticks up every turn. So the big Big concern during deck construction is having cards you can play on round one and then cards you can play in end game to try and seal the deal. But it's just it's kind of it's fun when you're winning and not fun when you're losing, which is not an enormous achievement, you know. It's not the frustration I found with it was that I'm the pre-built decks that you get aren't very good. No. And you basically to, to, you need to be making your own decks. And then the problem with that is that actually making your own decks only really works if you know the game. And you only really know the game if you've 
I've played a lot of it or watched a lot of it. It's not very intuitive. I feel. It's not. And basically, every time I've I've made a public comment, because I get really frustrated by it, because it's one of those things where I kind of feel like there are certain companies. I think Blizzard's one of those companies that when they when that company does something, the entire of the games media suddenly wake up and go, "Oh, this genre is amazing." <laughs> that happens with Starcraft. Oh, real time strategy game. And it's like, yeah, it feels like there are only a few people in the world who do that, where they get that immediate kind of love from the press because they do make things so shiny and aesthetically pleasing you know I got a touch of that from Titanfall whereby Titanfall yeah. came out and all the games press went oh I'm playing a first person shooter on the internet it's great and you sort of go <laughs> you don't, I know you you don't play online FPS's and sure enough that portion of the games press actually kind of fell Titanfall seems to have lost its hype very quickly well, it's I, because, I, I think, you know, uh, does it, I mean does it have legs I, it's good <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's, it's good. It's just yeah. It's, it's I've heard it's very good. That, but that it... people seem to like it more than they <laughs> more than they do other. Well, it's got robots in. Isn't it? I mean, one of the editorials. I, I won't say who wrote it, but I did read an editorial that was by someone who basically said I thought it was rubbish, and it's not. And that, that didn't just feel like a, a strong enough editorial position to have about. A game <laughs> about a game that people have spent years on, and yeah, yeah, it's 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 a weird one. But I, admittedly, though, that was the exact editorial line I took when I made my videos about Dragon's Dogma. Me <laughs> 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 just going, I thought this game was going to be shit, but actually, it's kind of shit, but really good as well. Like, we're in trouble now. But with, no, with Titanfall, it's bollocks because that's basically like the fact that everybody seemed to be hating on Titanfall, and it's like, guys, it's it's clearly going to be like quite good. It's going to be measurably good. It's being made by a team of people who are measurably good and they've got loads of money. It's like, Titanfall was never going to be one of those games that was going to come out and be like, oh God, this is very bad. It was always going to be like, fairly accomplished at what it did. And also, I think that the originality of the Titans itself is a nice new dynamic. The fact that you get into them and then you eject out of them and you jump on someone else's and that's quite neat. It is neat. I kind of wonder with the longevity of these things, whether it's just where you are in your life, you know? It's like, I I used to play so much of the first Call of Duty Modern Warfare. But that's because... I don't know. That's it. Four or four years ago, I would have snapped up Titanfall and just played it for yeah, you got for really years and years and years. But like now, I, I like I saw my housemate playing it, and I looked at it and went, "That is too fast." Yeah, <laughs> that is too fast. Look at those guys; they're running like. That's it. I was like, I could not get my head around it. I was like, oh, what? So I've got to be aiming and like jumping around sideways and worrying about basically yeah. doing parkour whilst aiming. And I was like, oh, no. It's yeah. Just, my head's be, not built I, for played, this. I played Rezu. Like, I played 10 minutes of Rezu Gun and, and had this exact same reaction. Like, oh, I would, I, even a year ago, I would have been fine with trying to deal with it. But my eyes just went, no. No. See, this is why I was able to have so much fun with Tribes Ascend last summer, which I just played every night, because, you know, you're soaring through the air, like you are catapulting yourself and you're firing discs at people, and it seems like it would be really high, like, really tense and really fast, but actually, there's something really beautiful and slow about Tribes, where even though you are hurtling through the air in a parabola at like 180 (laughs) miles an hour, you're kind of stuck in that arc and it's kind of thinking about, well, what am I going to do when I land? And it's shooting. It's not keeping your cursor on someone. It's leading the target and it's firing one disc about 50 yards in front of him so he will hit it it's at the like correct point. archery. Like it is. Just, yeah. It's funny. Like and it's, it's this perfect blend of like, um, you know, really tense sort of like base battles where you do need to pull the trigger as soon as someone rounds a corner and also just slow, thoughtful, okay, I'm, I'm flying now. And it, it's interesting. Whereas, yeah, Titanfall doesn't need this. I, I, it just seems to be the trajectory that first-person shooter has taken. And I think 
I, it's not for me because I mean I, I but you do play a lot of Dota which is all about clicks per hour and clicks per hour items per CPRO CPM's a weird one right because yeah. uh, I mean I don't know what my CPM is but it's probably quite high again clicks clicks per minute yeah is there um, any clicks is it not what about keyboard per minute Oh, I don't know if they count. I don't. You see, I'm not into all this stuff. I just know that when I'm playing, it's odd. I'm kicking ass because I just go. Well, sometimes it depends if I'm playing well, but all the time when I'm playing, it must be insane for anyone to watch. Because when I'm playing like XCOM or something, I just go click, click, <laughs> click, and I just sit and don't press the buttons very often. Whereas when I'm playing okay. Dota, I'm like click, 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 click. I'm clicking like constantly. I'm going click, even when I'm not doing anything. I go yeah, click, click, click. So this is the thing. When I've spectated several people's games, they do this. But they don't mm. like that. You'll be clicking to move to the same spot over and over. Why are you one of those people? <laughs> um, yes, but not quite. I don't ever click to go to the same spot. I think usually what I'll do is I'll click around. Why is often, that? Uh, well, I've seen that a lot, and I don't. I don't do that I when feel I play. I like myself. to keep it straight in your head. Yeah, it? so it's because sort of... if you click on somewhere and then you wander off with your mouse somewhere, <laughs> your character is going in one direction. Your mouse is going in another direction. Mm. If you're not. I think you're not yeah. following your mouse around. Whereas if you click on the location forty times, you're less likely <laughs> to do that. Yeah, but I had to do that, and even in like, even in, uh, in real life, <laughs> even in real life, I have to have my hand in front of me at all times, <laughs> so I know where I'm going. It's just good habits, I think, and I think one of the things is that because there are some characters in Dota like Pudge who's obviously a really big fat meaty bastard who's got a hook and the way his hook works is that he launches it and the first thing it hits whether it's an enemy or whether it's an ally or whether it's one of the, the kind of units that get in the middle that aren't really p- part of either team um, it just grabs that um, and it means that the only way he can land those hooks is by being either being really good and being like they're running there and firing ahead of them and grabbing them and that's the skill shots. But often what Pudgers will do is just wait until they see someone who's clearly not concentrating. <laughs> and it's just because basically if you're like, well, I don't need to move anywhere, so I'll just stay stood here. Oh, anytime I see a player yes. who isn't moving, they are bait. Like they are like anytime I see anyone and they're not moving I go I'm going to kill you yeah. because it shows you that's what I think in real life <laughs> <laughs> but that's first person shooters as well if you see someone standing still in team fortress and they're not even snipers yeah. will like strafe constantly yeah well, I think that's the thing that. it's basically it's the this fact that unless you have absolute vision there's always a chance that somebody might be about to like you could have invoker landing a sunstrike which is this <laughs> ra- ranged attack you can do where you can yes. drop it anywhere on the map and because you might not even be playing against these people but you because you sometimes are and you get screwed over a couple of times just because you've stood in the one position for longer it's like PTSD you're just running in circles forever <laughs> yeah you just do yeah if you're stuck by a tower I'll, I will just walk in circles walk around erratically and I'll just be moving around constantly it's funny you know I don't think we get older and we think you know certain games are too fast I think you can learn it but you sort of fought in and out of habits like Monster Hunter taught me stamina Monster Hunter taught me that I can fight a boss and dodge its attacks perfectly for 60 minutes <laughs> which is something I wouldn't have said I could do before but you, but no you play Monster Hunter and it builds you up slowly and then you end up doing it and it was the same with Dota I'm sure if I had stuck with Dota I would be one of those when people. would you ever need that stamina in any other Dark pick? Souls sometimes Spelunky yeah, yeah. oh god with Spelunky can we the... just point out that Paul is amazing at Spelunky oh, I yeah, don't know about that no you are yeah, like, no, you very wouldn't. few of my friends are really good at a particular game that's nice of you to say no it's, it's I, I like it when a game have you finished it? Actually. I can't finish it. Really? 
No, really. I, <laughs> I, when it originally came out as an indie game in like 2009, at that time I didn't have very much money and I had a PC that already hadn't been upgraded for a few years. So right. indie games actually saved me at that time because I could play indie games on this PC. Mm-hmm. And one of them was Spelunky and I just played a lot of Spelunky. I like that you had to make Spelunky slightly more challenging for yourself by telling long draw night stories over it on your YouTube channel yeah. <laughs> so, that, so that you can d- distract yourself slightly and yet still playing, do amazing and yet still get very far I thought it was an interesting because th- so many people were recording videos of them playing a playthrough and particularly if they're doing the daily challenge and you know you watch one you watch the next it's the same level and then a lot of people are just saying I'm going to jump now okay I just thought it would be interesting <laughs> to talk about something else than but you're that does yeah. actually help. I remember when I was doing um, the Dark Souls Pants Man thing, a video game, where I was just <laughs> I was just trying to finish Dark Souls and in your pants Souls. with your character, in yeah, your, in his with pants. the character's pants. Well, I did finish Dark Souls actually physically in my yeah. pants as well, which was interesting. <laughs> Particularly when I turned up at Namco's office next week, and the PR managers asked me, "So have you played Dark Souls?" And I was like, <laughs> and I thought he was joking. I turned around, and, went, ah. and it's like, let me tell oh you, my God, sir. I've come for a one-to-one session to play Dark Souls Two, and you haven't even looked up. You would have immediately found out that last week I completed this game whilst basically naked live <laughs> on the internet didn't know that fuck Namco anyway um, <laughs> yeah like Spelunky it's that weird thing of when I was playing I couldn't do this boss fight I couldn't do this section and so I just started somebody was like oh we'll stop trying to concentrate on the boss fight and start telling us a story or something and so I was like trying to be Dark Souls too. yeah so I was just ah. like I was playing Manus on the, the expansion of Dark Souls and I just started I got, I got well far just by basically like I stopped talking about the game and just started making up a story and just I was just breeze, breezing through the game it's the weird thing I talk to myself during Dark Souls bosses for no don't know why it's I like, think it's because actually when you <laughs> lose the focus you fuck it up yeah and actually you know how to do it and it is all about learned muscle memory and so when you start thinking about it too much, you distract yourself from that. Yeah, you I think put your brain happen. somewhere else. It just autopilots, and it's better autopilot. I, f- I find the final level of Spelunky with Olmec, with his as he repeatedly hammers into the ground, and the idea is he has to dig his own hole. And if you want to be really um, systematic about it, and you want to find the exit to hell in the, the current version of Spelunky, you have to try and get him to basically dig squash all of it. the whole yeah the whole level back and forth. So you run, but that gets quite tiring after a while. Uh, <laughs> it does it's like you, you were saying about the hour long uh, fighting boss. a boss although actually as well as talking to talking to characters Quinns has a story about talking to Dragon's Dogma party members oh what he said what it was pawns they, people would start your your pawns would say things and you would find yourself oh I talked to the back. pawns in Dragon Dogma yeah because they would chatter constantly but in a really friendly way and I would reply to them and I can't actually think of a game that's <laughs> I think done I might have done that as well actually <laughs> but yeah there's something about the barks in Dragon's Dogma are really human they don't, they're not fake like I'm reloading in Gears yes. of War or whatever it's something like um like you're fighting a boss and they say things which because usually when you're making a game barks are uh, sort of dependent on a certain thing happening like mm. look out behind us or cover me or whatever in Dragon's Dogma I just remember sometimes they yelled stuff that was just like <laughs> <Really Aah!" odd. laughs> or uh, or yeah like we're going I can't, I'm just fighting the Cyclops at the very beginning they were yelling like um, how dangerous it was and all this stuff and so one of them would this is quite dangerous <laughs> it was like look out for this sire and I would say don't worry I'll be fine <laughs> like just talk <laughs> To them, yeah, they were they were like idiotic children, but I had a lot of fondness for them. Yeah, they were certainly a thing. Did you just there was a little lump in your throat there whenever you said that? <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a great fondness. We talked about uh, Dragon's Dogma quite a lot actually in Dark Souls a couple of episodes ago when it was uh, me, Quinns, and Joe, and then afterwards we sat down probably about twenty minutes where 
step by step we went okay and explained the full ending of the game to no. Quinn who's never going to play it <laughs> but just because it's like you're never going to play it so okay but it is it is amazing the ending yeah. does sound don't like do, a thing I won't no we're not going to do it I, I just bought it like, well that's why we're two not two days ago so. yeah that's why we didn't record it on the podcast because it's like it's too good to spoil but it's for those people who just go I'm never going to play it it's like okay sit down <laughs> let's make a cup of tea <laughs> so on the subject of uh, of me talking to people in Dragon's Dogma I'll just throw a question wide open what characters in games did you find yourselves getting really fond Fond of. But That's I, a really good question. I remember you liking some oh, Baldur's no. Gate character. Oh. I'm not. I'm not. Te- <laughs> this isn't me trolling you. I'm genuinely like you like. Yeah. No, I, I did. Uh, if I was trolling, I would say something like you liking some of the women in Baldur's Gate. But I'm not saying that. I'm asking. I'm asking. Ben. I was. A, I was a lot younger. <laughs> Bear in mind that the first Baldur's Gate is now a si- 16 years old, so I was almost half my age. Wow. Uh, when it came out, so I was a teenager. So I'm allowed to have done foolish things. Hey, I fancy. I was pretty younger. Yeah. Vampire Bloodlines uh, damsel. That's who I liked. She was the oh. rebel with the beret and the oh, bar. Oh, I remember that. I remember conversations about that. Yeah, damsel. She um, was great because she just she just was really mean to you. We should constantly. come back to this because vampires had some good, some really good characters and they some did. really they did. good moments. Uh, yeah, generally. Um, the Baldur's Gate games and also Planescape Torment, which are those sort of mm. late nineties Black Isle era, mm-hmm. are some of my favourite games ever, and some of the. I mean, I don't think they've aged terrifically well. And I re-reviewed both the Baldur's Gate re-releases for Eurogamer, where I basically yeah, when said, they did the iPad, the enhanced version. Yeah, and I said they're very good, but they they're actually a little bit clunky, and they're a little bit uh, kind of. It's kind of like doing Latin, like doing a dead language <laughs> that some people are going to get pleasure from, but like D&D second edition mechanics. Like the, oh, God. Actually trying to, and armor class. You have to learn that to play the game and you look at it and you just go, this is not intuitive. No. But the quality of a lot of the writing mm. um, and the fact that so much of the game had to be just kind of brought across in text and mostly in dialogue. God, I thought Baldur's Gate was, 2 was, was spectacular. I was amazed by some of that. The end Baldur's Gate 2 where, you know, you pick your six part or five party members to go with your protagonist to fight the last boss and just yeah. before you go in it looks at each of them in turn yeah. and it says what you see when you look at them and it's your character you remote, you look into this character's eyes yeah. and you notice they're fearless and why are they even here but no they're with you they must love you all this kind of stuff and I think that's gradually become like a Bioware kind of uh, except it never now, did it with such verbosity you know it's like it, it, Mass Effect 2 did it with a very oh I guess Mass Effect 3 did have the thing at the end where you meet all the characters on earth and they're grumpy at you <laughs> I, I can't remember much about it to be honest Mass Effect 2 is my Mass Effect um, you yeah. know with the suicide mission and all that stuff yeah Mass Effect 2 is definitely the best of the three I got pretty um, pretty enamored with uh, the timber what was it the timber resistance in Final Fantasy 7 oh really yeah, yeah like which ones I got, were they uh, it was oh with Tifa and Barrett no no the, the ones that the ones that get killed very early on. I don't remember this. It's like big, bigs and Wedge big, get killed. Oh yeah, because uh, they always have called Jesse and like oh what Star Wars like character names. Uh, it's the it's the resistance group that Barrett is a part of. At the very early, right end. at the start. Yeah, right at the start. And you know the way um, they all get killed when the plane collapses. They, they try no, they try and they try and sabotage something. Like the second thing they try and sabotage in the game, and you're part of the this group, and they find out they've been set up or something, and Shinra basically slaughter them, and you have to run past each one of them in turn when you're coming down this big staircase, and you oh, find yeah. they're di- they're dying, and they're just saying, "Go on without me." And I remember oh, like yeah. I played this when I was like, I don't know, thirteen or fourteen or something, and I was like really really upset because I, I thought they were being set up as characters that would be with you the whole game <laughs> and I would like go over and talk to them like and most especially yeah that girl I think her name was Jessie like talks to you like she's really kind of 
that uh, that Japanese archetype girl who's like shy and just talks to you and says and is obviously interested in the main character and I was just oh, like oh yeah. this is going to blossom and I was like this is going to blossom something's going to happen here wow and uh, we all remember Harris's death but I can't remember but no this. Yeah, this this affected me way more than that because I got like probably on the second or <laughs> what, it was the second disc or something the game broke and I did not complete it and 10 years later I went back and I remembered that whenever I was very young that I had sworn I'd sworn revenge on Shinra Corporation <laughs> when I was little and I just realized like I saw it in the, the PSN store and I thought no I'm gonna I'm gonna fulfill that pledge I'm gonna get my revenge and I downloaded it and I completed it finally and wow. I just like had this really big feeling of satisfaction having not for dealing with Sephiroth or any of that like stuff like later and when I looked at the game I was like this isn't as good as I remember just but, Shinra but I yeah just had so much satisfaction for beating Shinra I don't know if I've ever hated anything in a game that much or got that, satis- that much satisfaction if I hate a boss it's only because the boss has kicked my ass twice before no I just hated them because they killed Pigs and Wedge I'm really impressed that you actually got the game again your cre- yeah, particularly yeah. because and this is the first time I'm probably admitting this I've completed Baldur's Gate 2 but I never completed the expansion that came after with oh the throwing of ball I got really close to the end and I always keep meaning to and stuff happens and I never do and I know what happens at the end and I know you get you get these horrible kind of epilogues where the weird thing is a lot of the characters don't really live happily ever after and some of them end up quite lonely and there's kind of a whole thread through the whole game where wow I wrote something, I wrote a retrospective for Eurogamer where I said it feels like you're, the party is a surrogate family of people who all kind of, you're in your party because well, that was the thing you about, relate to each other. You pointed really out to me else. that in Baldur's Gate 2, actually, it's a really downbeat thing because in Baldur's Gate 2, if anyone was a pair in the original Baldur's Gate, they yes. have been sundered. And I think every, yeah, there's a lot of pairs of people you can meet in Baldur's Gate 1, and I think every pair yeah. of people, one of them is dead. Which Baldur's is a fascinating Gate. thing to do with a sequel that you set up all these characters and then, I can't, I couldn't believe it to think of it to this day it's a, it's a hell of a ballsy thing to do narratively that in Baldur's Gate 1 you have Jakira uh, no Jakira and what's it Khalid Khalid and yeah Jakira and um, then uh, Jahira rather Jakira would be Jakira oh. Jakira yeah, that would be a very different game <laughs> uh, but then in Baldur's Gate 2 you know you start playing and then Khalid just dies immediately oh yeah and uh, and then it's like how on earth can you do that because these two are a pair and then it's like oh actually no it's significantly more interesting to see how uh, Jahira acts without her partner and how she, how long she takes to get over that? Yeah, that, that I had. There was a lot of stuff. Quite like, yeah, and there's a lot of in amazing. Like I mean, I, lo- I I just remember being shocked as a, I was quite young as well when I realised that early on because in the first dungeon, the first Baldur's Gate, it had dark stuff, but a lot of it was still a bit shit. A lot of it was like, oh, those Bazogisks over there. Yeah, <laughs> and a lot of the really enjoyable stuff kind of required you to have like knowledge, like the fact that it's like, oh, it's Drizzdewood, and it's like if you didn't play, if you didn't know about. I was like, who's this be guy? Fair, and I read the Drizzdewerden books and shat myself when he showed <laughs> up in Baldur's <laughs> Gate. It felt very much like with that one, it felt like you had to have an understanding of, of uh, the background yeah. yeah, to get a real appreciation from it. However, with Baldur's Gate 2, it just felt like a much better fleshed out world. But there was a bit where one of the quests early on was like this Tanner you're investigating and you realised that you were looking for a murderer and you were like, oh, that, that was really, uh, yeah, Tanner yeah. making things out of human skin. And I was just like, Ooh. what? <laughs> and realising that like you could actually... I think there was a bit where you got the option to side with him and you could have 
If Bond's get was great. If you promise not to tell his secret, he would give you some leather armor made of human skin. Oh, and it was like, oh, this wow. is crazy. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But <laughs> I might have could if I wanted. I actually of so many hidden things. Oh, I, that game was massive. I actually rinsed it. I must have. I think when I played Baldur's Gate two, I made. I I just wanted to know everything, and I did the same thing with um, Planescape Torment, but still missing yeah. things there. And Fallout two. All those games just really. I was obsessed with just reading all of the dialogue and finding out all of the optional things I could do and seeing how far the rabbit holes went because I love that nowadays it's like do you want to be a good guy do you want to be a bad guy it's like it's almost like you've gone to the quest hand in desk you're right love why are you a good guy or a bad guy bad guy right is, a, is an axe of bleeding they are on your way whereas often it would be these things where if you'd make one choice it would end the quest immediately but then if you didn't you'd often end up spiraling off yeah. down these rabbit holes and it wouldn't just be a case of oh you're evil cool have an evil reward. And it was, I think yeah. it was a really self-aware game as well. It was, I hadn't read Watchmen at the time. Quinn's actually lent me Watchmen, the Alan Moore comic, <clears throat> which is kind of the um, taking superheroes to their logical conclusion. And I read Who that. Who really would become superheroes yeah, and what, what happens would their afterwards. Lives be like? And I felt like Baldur's Gate 2 was kind of like that for, for fantasy heroes. It's basically if you spend all your time on the road and you mostly <laughs> solve problems by killing people, this is what will happen to you. This is the kind of person you end up as. Hmm. It's funny, the, as far as the dark stuff goes, um, all those like Fallout 1 and 2 and, mm. and Planescape, these games are able to do such dark storytelling because you are removed by the camera. Thinking about this, there was always something that bugged me about Knights of the Old Republic and Fallout 3, and it's because you just, ne- almost by necessity, you have to lose some of that grit when you view things. And I remember Bethesda streaming oh. of Fallout 3 seemed really pantomime to me and infuriated me. That's why nobody got attacked to Lydia in Skyrim. Yeah, sure. Well, people said they did, and I didn't find. No, 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 no. no. They, oh, they, they got attached there for the wrong reasons. So also mentioning was a, a hilarious puppet that was possibly going to have children that you could kill. Who in, was it? in Skyrim? Was it not the case that modders found that they were originally models of children and possibly dialogue for if? My God, so you could have that might have been fallout because there was little lamp Maybe. light, wasn't it? I'm sure there well, was no, a Fallout Two. There were children, and actually, this this annoyed me because um oh yeah no Fallout Two you could kill children well, in the US yeah version. only in the US version but they did ah. a really shonky version of it because it annoyed me because Fallout Two is a game I played so much Fallout Two is a and stunning there were a couple of quests I couldn't complete. And it was things like I had to go and find people and I just couldn't find them. And often with this era of games, and this is one of the things that many people who are fans like myself offer, overlook, is the fact there was irritating fucking things like doors on the map that you couldn't quite see. Yes. And you'd be like, you get stuck for ages and then be like, like, oh, such there's a, a door there. But oh, talking yeah. about small mechanical failings seems like such a petty thing to complain but about. But if they, if they lead into a giant narrative feeling, which is I didn't see any of that, <laughs> yeah. then, then they're, they're, not, they're not as petty as they're saying. I mean, like, no, I got, I got no. stuck on, on my point. games. I got actually fully stuck on games because I didn't know I had to click on that bit because that was a cave and not just a wall. That's, yeah. Yeah. I got games that I actually had to stop playing for months until a friend of mine said, oh, I'll come around and show you how to do it. And it was like, what? But no, I mean, well, what happened with this is I was just convinced that I must be missing an area or missing something and then realised eventually they'd just taken the kids out but they'd left the quests that involved kids really so there were a couple where you had to talk to a kid it's like oh can you find my son it's like oh. I'm a fucking car I've been looking for him for three years <laughs> I've been playing this game for like so long and I've never met him I always assumed that you'd either find his body down the well or like you know I must be, he must be dead you'll find somewhere. him in real life somewhere and you go, how do I get you back in the game how do I push you into the game <laughs> 
Um, main memory of Fallout 2 was like, I must have played when I was like 12 or 11, desperately trying to figure out how to be a porn star. Oh, yeah. Without oh. quite understanding what any of the references in Fallout 2 were. Like, you could. I learned what a fluffer was. I learned game. what a fluffer was <laughs> in that game. And my parents had no idea. They, my mum bought me that in WH uh, Smith's because oh. I wanted it because it had a big picture of a cool robot on the front. Yeah. I looked at the back of, back of it and thought, oh cool, this looks like an RPG. It came in one of those big boxes, didn't it, as well? Yeah, and it, it had a big box. And it had recipes in the manual. You remember that? It did, yeah. You so could have a post-apocalyptic omelette. That manual, actually, I think, I, I hope I've still got it somewhere. Of your, of Cooking your right now. <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. But um, I was always disappointed by Fallout 3. I, I enjoyed Fallout 3, don't get me wrong, but it just it didn't have the same bite. It didn't have the same. But I always won game. Well, it was very. It was. It was. Bethesda were good at a certain thing, and that is just an enormous transporting open world. Whereas Fallout Two was good at really tight little narrative vignettes. Like, but also it's the nature of the darkness. I mean, Fallout Three allowed you to uh, murder women and then chop them up into tiny bits and carry their chunks around. And no, you couldn't chop them up into tiny bits. Actually, I'm imagining that. Yeah, I was wondering. Blimey. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's because somebody once told me a story about how they'd done that and then I realised oh, and it stayed in my head and actually it's like, no, you didn't because you can't do that. But no, you could like you could murder people and like it was it had some dark stuff in it, right? But then there was nothing as dark as just I loved the the mercenary nature of Fallout 2. I love the way that it was like Every it wasn't, time you it had wasn't always trying to make you laugh as well. If, if if nasty stuff was happening, it wasn't just like, oh, it's creepy, kooky. It, no, it was just really unpleasant. I, love, I just love the fact that it, it wouldn't matter who was involved it wouldn't matter if some really good honest people had asked you to go and kill some really bad people it wouldn't matter what the context of it was there was always an option to then go and speak to the people who you were supposed to kill and say these people told me to kill you all <laughs> what do you want to do about that and then they'd be like well how about you go and kill all of them like, alright <laughs> you could just like there was always a side to everything and usually like it didn't do anything to stop you from just murder because the faction system works so well within the maps it'd be this thing of being like these people would be like we'll pay you this much money if you kill these people you go and kill them all you come back mm-hmm. in the text they go and open the safe they give you all the money out of the safe thanks very much wicked bang, bang, and then you kill them all like I remember in New Reno the whole like uh, the gangster gangster town. place yeah like every it would mean that if you, you could wipe out an entire gang and it might mean that you walk into the next area and there might be some gangers from their gang who would come at you but if you shot them dead everyone else would just go about their business <laughs> and it's just that thing of being like every like you can fuck with one faction but it probably means you'll have to murder all of them but if you've done that no one else really cares. <laughs> God, Fallout One as well has the. Did you guys finish Fallout One? Do you know? I how never it, have. Do you yeah. know how it ends? Know, the, it's, yeah. the glorious of the go on a quest, save our vault. We need a water chip, and you get the water chip, and you save the day, and you kill the super mutants, and all that. And you go back, and the head of the vault says, uh, "Listen, listen, you've done so much for us. You've gone out into the wasteland, and you saved us." But if we let you back in, you're going to be an inspiration to all the kids and then they'll want to leave as well. So we're going to have to ask you to leave. And if you had <laughs> and if you had sort of um, above zero karma, you turned and you walked away and you got a ending, you know, like FMV still, whatever, about how you want. And yeah. then Fallout 2 starts with you having started this insane, weird <laughs> tribal thing. But if you have negative karma, you whip out a shotgun, blow off half the overseer's body and then walk off. And there's an, there's an animation unique to him where he's only got one arm, one leg, and half his torso is open, and he starts trying to crawl back into the vault with his intestines trailing behind him. It's, dis- it's the nastiest thing in the whole game. Wow. But if you have never negative karma, I guess the developers assumed you wanted to see that. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Good, 
Ness. Going back to Baldur's Gate, actually, <laughs> one of the things that always made me laugh about the pairs is, do you remember that there was a point where really early on you met the first evil characters? Yeah. And there was a tall guy and a short guy. Yeah. What I would always do, and it was just a tradition every time I played this game, because I'm shit at it, I died all the time and I'd start again. But I would always let them join my party go into the customization options, make them be wearing matching pink and purple tops and trousers, <laughs> and then get them to leave my party and just leave them there. So I'd leave them in the exact same spot that they were, waiting on this road, being nefarious, but wearing fetching matching pink trousers and purple tops. Oh my that God. That gave me a lot of pleasure. <laughs> That's amazing. All the traditional thing in Baldur's Gate, if you, it's like, that, it, it's just the weird lover's tiff of you talk to someone... I need you to leave the party. There's no place for you here anymore, but first I'm just going to take your trousers <laughs> yes. and your shoes and your yeah. rings yes. and your money. That is it. Uh, you got anything else? Yeah. Oh, that. Oh, yeah, I'll have that. There's racked. a good sketch in that. Uh, just a quick couple of things. Uh, what's, what's that? <laughs> nothing, nothing. Can I just have your helmet? Yeah, all right. Like, can you take that off as well? <laughs> the worst what thing. do you want? Like, no, nothing. No, I just want to just want to put. I just want to see it. Just have a look at it. <laughs> can you take uh, that kind of that sword as well, please? <laughs> like, what do you mean? I need it. Or oh, you can have this one. This one's rubbish. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about this, but actually, I've decided that <laughs> I'm <free> to leave. <laughs> I want to move. It's mine. What's see? Really you just gave me. <laughs> see, that's mine. Yeah. But the worst thing is, if someone dies, um, there's no way to do that. You well. No, there is. It's just everything that they have in there, like the helmet on their head and the armor on their body, everything sort of falls off in a big pile. And because everything takes up one inventory slot, you then have to pick up each one of their rings <laughs> and then their sword and then their shield and then their helmet and then their, their, their boots and then all the things that were in their individual pockets, <laughs> potion. Not just their body and like <laughs> resurrected. Like, oh, what you have to carry all their gear. Like everything and, erupts out of. And them. then you go for the resurrection spell, and they wake up. If, if they haven't exploded, because if they take too oh, much yeah, damage, they, they just explode. Yeah, and that's the thing I remember really frustrated me. Like people would get turned to stone and then broken, and then they were just dead. Yeah, like, and that was really annoying. Well, it was oh. weird because you knew playing Baldur's Gate that. Um, if it was made today, no one could ever lose a character in Baldur's Gate. No one's ever like, oh, I thought Basilisk and Minsk died. Oh, that's really no, you sad. Lose characters. Oh, no, I know, but I'm okay. saying any human being would reload the game. So, yeah. Because there's someone love put into those characters. And so if they did it today, mm. and that was a fight, everyone would stand back up. And that was a major quibble and problem with those things. Is uh, This especially affected lots of games, but RPGs were the worst. Because you get so immersed in the game, right? You get so into it that you would forget to save. And oh. then you, and then you'd be like two hours in, and then you'd something horrible would happen, and you'd but that's like you'd lost so much yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's I've the, done that. That's the best way to play them is to like just not go back. When I played Mass Effect or any game like that recently, uh, the no going back policy. Yeah, well, no, yeah. but that's fine in Mass Effect because you can still finish the game. Baldur's Gate, like you could quite easily just you die and it go, and the only option would be load game or quit game, and you'd be like. Fuck's sake! Yeah, there'd be these weird character things like in Mass Effect, like whenever he, it, it wouldn't necessarily tell you what you're say when you get the trigger to do the renegade action and the para, the yeah. para what a paragon, paragon action. Sometimes you, uh, you eyebrow, wouldn't, yeah. yeah, you wouldn't know which, you wouldn't know exactly what he's going to do. And I remember he's talking to this reporter, and I thought, oh well, he's just <laughs> yeah. gonna, he's just gonna say something snarky to her. <laughs> yeah. and I press the renegade action, and he welt her in the face, and I just shouted at the screen, no. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that I'd love to know actually that was one of the questions I wanted to ask when I was out in Bioware for Mass Effect 3 stuff and I really I did want to because I've always wondered if the reason they did that was just to show you that like the fact that up until that point the renegade actions are always like 
pull a gun on someone. Yeah, but you yeah. think in this context, you think, yeah, it shocked the hell out of me as well. Because so I, I was like, I was like, this woman's very rude. Get out of my face! And then he's punched her in the face. I was just like, what the? But I think I wonder if maybe the thing is I couldn't because I was by my code. I couldn't go back and like take that back. Oh, no, I, I just like now my character is a slightly like nasty person to his enemies, really <laughs> nice to his friends, and also a horrible like domestic abuser, like yeah. just a really really nasty man. That's it, savior of the universe, it. but a real real piece of work. <laughs> so what? Cool. I mean, going back to what Quinn said, what characters then did you guys really? I think mine I've been thinking about this um, I think oh, I don't know I remember being very fond of the frog in Chrono Trigger oh really I don't know frog. why yeah frog not the frog but frog, frog. I don't know why I think just no, he's hatching wow. he's really noble and sweet well actually no the only reason you like frog I'll be honest is because he has a kick ass soundtrack he, that's the thing he had an amazing oh yeah oh you're giving me shivers it's, yeah. it's an amazing piece of music but also because he was kind of a bit weird and mysterious and I think you might have eventually found out why he was a frog but it was always a bit vague oh no he's in yeah no it's because he was uh, cursed by Magus oh yeah that's it I remember now. he was like a noble warrior who became a noble frog but I just <laughs> like the idea of a frog knight who was uh, despite the fact that he'd been turned to a frog he wasn't like miserable that yeah he wasn't he was like I am, a, I am a knight he was, uh, he was inspiring I liked him but also I think the character weirdly I got really obsessed with was um, uh, I don't even know his name really I can't remember his name anyway but he was a character in a game which I think in the UK and maybe Europe was called Story of Thor which is dumb as fuck because I, I don't even think there was a character in the game called Thor when did it come out? Uh, it came out in it the for? 90s it was for the Mega Drive and also wow. <laughs> it was Mega Drive and the Saturn as well I didn't know the Mega Drive had any characters at all alone. <laughs> yeah, it was good Mega Drive had some cool good Spot was pretty cool Coolspot had a rich and complex <laughs> narrative he was rad man hmm I should have fancy some 7 up <laughs> um, but no there was so basically, it, it was also called Beyond Oasis. I think it was more commonly known as Beyond Oasis. And I think it's widely received as being like an okay action RPG. <laughs> widely received as okay. <laughs> that's printed on the box. I loved it though. This was the period where I was renting games from Blockbusters and having that thing of being like, you rent a cartridge and you take it home and you play with it for three days. And then usually because you're a child, you can't then just take it back and renew it because your parents are like, we have to take it back now. And you're like, yeah. come have it again. And they're like, No. Because it was a treat in the first place, right? So then what you'd have to do is you'd have to take the cartridge back to Blockbusters and then just hope that by the time you got to rent it out again, whoever had rented it out in the meantime hadn't deleted your data slot. Oh, oh, wow. And I had this with a few things. And I had this with a game called Soleil as well, um, which, yeah, somebody had deleted my data slot. The fucker. Because they weren't even all being used, so... Oh, anyway, wow. But he just, wanted to be number one I just, in the list. I know. That's why I think I actually got tactical about it in the end and started choosing like number three or four, just because I was like, well, <laughs> then you, the egotistical twats can have their way. Um, but this game was awesome. Basically, the way it works is it had a very vague bit at the start, and it had kind of quite chilling music, and it was this idea that this, this blonde-haired kind of Aladdin-y style type lad found this armlet and it was a gold armlet with a blue oh my god it. I played this yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you fire the, the yeah that was like a top down yeah. explorer it was hard as nails it was really hard but I loved it because it had lots of really it uh, could turn into shapes that's the thing at the time it was actually really advanced um, for like all the things you could do in it and the systems like you could equip weapons and you could find weapons and so weapons would have like better swords would have only have a certain amount of usage before mm-hmm. they break but they'd have different attack animations you had combos it was kind of like a bit like Zelda 
but with it was like Zelda but I remember the sprite art was trying harder yeah the sprite art was really cool and it had like really big enemies and different enemies and really some of the areas were really creepy and it did like awesome stuff like these zombies where if you were hitting them with swords that had slashing attacks sideways slashing you'd kill them really easily but then you'd have the top half of their body like you cut them in half and the top (laughs) half would crawl towards you I'm not very scared of a zombie's legs if I'm honest no no. the top half crawls towards you the top half I thought you had legs legs just that sounds really interesting it was for the time it was actually really accomplished and then to also with stuff like to hit the things on the ground you had to use a downward attack but it it didn't like do terribly well well I just I think it did fine I think it did okay but I've just never really Really met anybody I think I remember it, it being it's not like Zelda where you breeze through and have a beautiful time it was like it was hard work it was really hard but the thing that excited me about it and I think it, the thing that captured my imagination and I think it's one of the first games that really did was this armlet and the way you'd start off the game and it was hard as nails and you were just useless basically you were just like not very good with a knife and you had to try and fight off these dudes in your village but then you realised that this armlet you got was your power and the way it worked was that you'd fire this little thing off of it and it would go and if it whatever element it hit and you'd have to unlock all four of them but if you start off and you go and you meet the water fairy and the water god and then then it meant that if you fired it and this little thing which would fall down if it landed in water it would summon a, a water fairy and then you could press other buttons to do like almost like golden axe style like magic oh yeah and you, you'd be able to have like if you t- tap it once it would do a small spell tap it two it would do other ones and it'd be a combination of things like you know some of them would be things that you'd need for puzzles uh, like you know you could use a bubble from the fairy which would put out flames or you could like tap it three times and get a big water tsunami but it was just awesome because you got that but the, the interesting thing was you got like one for fire as well which was like you know just this hulking fiery and I still even remember specifically the animations it just like this there were awesome animations and there was one where you got a plant where it was basically like a, a chain shot like a piranha plant that would that would basically just burrow up next to enemies and just start eating them and um, so what was the character that, that well the, the character was this guy with the armlet and it was the armlet oh that, the um, protagonist it was the protagonist yeah and it wasn't really him as a character it was more this armlet I became really obsessed with it because it set up the story of being like you got this gold armlet but then there was this other character who found the silver armlet and he was the evil guy and it was just this idea it was quite a simple story really <laughs> so two, two boring people who both receive these both find these armlets and one of them's good and one of them's evil and you've got to stop them but it was this idea of being able to like point have a magic arm that you could point at something and then summon that as an element that's very enchanting if you're a kid imagining being able to do that in the same way that lots of games since have made me like I've taken away with me into the the real world like GoldenEye's grenade launcher always made me imagine blowing up cars with it and uh, Portal was a great one yeah, I was going to say you see high up white walls and you go I can do that I and get <laughs> obsessed with um, Jet Set Radio's rocket boots yeah. and imagine it and like if sometimes if I'm on the street or in a car I will imagine using the boots to trace my horizon and what I would jump to yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but games that give you an object which you would love to have in real life are yeah. And I think that was the thing is I remember trying to make one like out of like <laughs> obviously not expecting it to work you've got to understand but it was really creepy because like, one of the things you got was shadow and it was like you'd be able to like when you summon the shadow spirit it would literally just be your shadow would be a bit darker I think Ooh. and then you'd be able to cast this thing where like, you'd just see like your shadow would move from behind you and just creep out along the ground and be able to grab things and that, pull them towards you that's one of the first weird things I ever remember seeing in any video game ever is Prince of Persia in like the late 80s oh the shadow prince you, you that, jump through was, a mirror and something happens that and your shadow separates and you went me. 
what? That and then you have to meet it again later and fight it. Yeah, but you're not supposed to fight it, and I couldn't figure that out because I was like eight. Oh, something. you have to run away. Uh, oh, you, you have, have to trick try it. and merge with it and trick it or something. Yeah, you had to trick it into yeah, putting its sword away and just merging. I think. Yes, that was oh, it. Oh yeah, you had to put your sword, you put your sword away. It did everything you did. Do. So you put your sword away and did as well, and then then yeah. Oh, Prince of Persia really frightened me um, as a kid. <laughs> it was a bit weird. No, honestly, like, I was the really spike, young. It's, it's that, it was, this, it was the noise of it when you lens The weird eyes. era yeah. of like really hyper-detailed pixel platformers. Yes. The same as, um, what's that one, the famous one where you you get transported into the future and another world. I, yeah. I remembered that because I was going to say, you get transported to another world. <laughs> <laughs> what could it possibly be? Oh yeah, another world. Uh, no, but yeah, those guys, those things had crazy. They made me cry. Um, it made me cry when I was oh, a kid. Really? Yeah, because my friend had it at his house, and um, he had like I can't remember it was in Amstrad or something. And um, oh, Prince Persia or Another World, Prince Persia, <laughs> not Another World. Um, just because they had the games on it, and I remember them saying like, I was like, oh, what's Prince of Persia? And my friend said, oh no, that that game is really scary. Uh, we must have been oh. really young and I was like oh, it can't be scary like, I didn't at that point I didn't understand the concept that a game could be scary yeah. and so I was like it can't be scary let's have a go and I had a go and it was quite I think it had a real sense right from the start and the fact that it was the first game I ever played where it starts you don't know what you're doing and you have a timer immediately it's like you've got this long to finish the game and I was like I don't know what I'm doing and the controls were quite complicated and the, the scenario was quite oppressive the scenery and the place was quite mm. oppressive poor Matt and poor I got really stressed Matt. and then I um, yeah I I just walked and fell into a trap and just saw the guy impaled on spikes saw the blood and they went amidst horrible noise and it yeah horrified me really scared wow. me I think, I think my mum always said oh Prince of Persia made you cry so I don't, I'm not old enough to remember it but yeah, scary fucking... And it's amazing now. You look at that, you go, how could anybody be upset or scared? <laughs> I remember at the time that you've got the uh, the metal kind of jaw things that come up mm. and down. You've got the spikes. That, there are a number of things in it that there are very tiles. sudden death. I remember the tiles that they look that very, a little away. bit uneven when you walk on them. You know they, and they start to like? shake whenever you stand on them. And yeah. then they drop and you just... This is spelunky, though, with the spikes and, the, and all the things that just suddenly kill you. And it's like, sorry, done. It's, Goodbye. Yeah, it was the fact that I think it was, well, for me, it was the timer. It was it was the fact that it was like, it was the equivalent of like being dropped into spelunky or Dark Souls or something. And somebody going, you've got 10 minutes. And like, what? Because like, the all you wanted to do in Prince of Persia was because you had the ability to to hold down shift, I think, or whatever it was, and walk and very gently edge forward, which meant, which meant that you'd be able to see traps and you'd be able to like not trigger traps and stuff. You yeah. just wanted to edge through, but it's like it was constantly doing things like, oh no, you've got like ten seconds to get through this door, and it's making you like pelt around where any like you know if you mistime the jump slightly, then yeah. yeah. I didn't even for, for years didn't even get to the sword fighting bit so get the sword I know I got just like three screens record. passed yeah oh no it's, I don't know if I could even do it now but just for the record then the armlet firing RPG guy was the RPG character that you liked it was the, I think it was the idea of the armlet just because I never Sorry, played the game you wanted to cut off the man's hand and take this his armlet this is the most antisocial thing ever we've asked what a certain, <laughs> what character You're in a game a and you've gone from well it was really the protagonist so basically me well basically the item I had the <laughs> item you were wearing is your favourite relationship in a no, 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 no it's not true I, my favourite relationship with a game character I don't know I've had <sighs> I think a lot of this thing is I think there have been a lot of them over the years I'm a, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> I carry as a relationship I can, say, I can say all of the Baldur's Gate people well that's, that's it like most of the people in, in Play Escape Torment, the Torment like yeah, a lot yes. of them especially the party yes. members 
Um, I think I, my Mass Effect relationship with Garrus, I love Garrus a oh, lot. Garrus, um, is, Garrus is quite the guy. And that's why, I, it's, it's kind of like the fact that I, I get why I get annoyed when people complain about saying Mass Effect 3 was a rubbish ending. It's like, you telling me, like, I just felt like so much of that game felt like a brilliant ending. Like that bit where you go and shoot cans on a roof with Garrus and you're just like, my Garrus you dies, so I wouldn't know. Oh, well, <laughs> you have this wonderful bit where you just... Oh, no, like, no, I, I've YouTubed the hell out of it. Oh, uh, yeah, you just go like, oh, let's go and... Okay, you basically go, hey, Garrus, do you want to go and just spend some time together? And he's like, yeah. And it's like, he's not a stupid guy. You're not a stupid guy. And you kind of know that the subtext of this conversation is, we might both be dead soon. Do you want to just spend some more time together before that might happen? And he's like, yeah. Oh. And it was just like, it was so touching, this moment of them just being like talking and... It's just like what I loved about that game was that stage in the game where you can go and spend time with all the characters because all of the all of those sections are pointless. Like there's no there's no like character development in them. There's, there's no, no loyalty button. There's no loyalty, there's no um, thing that can happen, there's no like revelation. It is very much just a case of as a player you know that you might you get a sense that they might be dead soon because it's already killed off some of your favourite characters quite early on as a kind of warning shot it's gone boom oh shit this is on we might kill everyone <laughs> oh dear and it's just nice because you kind of it's one of those mm. I always think great narrative works when you're in the same mindset as the characters yeah sure you kind of feel like that was I had a nice power I remember with Brendan I had, we had an amazing time we finally got um, The Last of Us and um, we I, I just became instantly fascinated with it Tess is Tess her name? Um, the uh, Joel's uh, uh, female companion who um, he has from the very beginning yeah. oh yeah what's yeah. her name I um, can't remember uh, played it for a while Matt any with the what sorry uh, Joel's uh, female friend at the beginning of Last of Us oh I can't remember <laughs> <laughs> okay. I remember her very distinctly but I'm very bad with names but I find I find that relationship is like one of the for me at least yeah one of the most beautifully realised like, things would never like the amount push, of clues in that first scene much, where she comes back from a deal and he says where have you been and she says uh, like oh yeah and then she says what do you care and he he goes to touch check her arm and she pulls her arm away the amount of yeah. clues in that it's like they care about each other he's told her not to do it so they're that kind of invested she refuses to let him touch her yeah. I always got the later opinion, on there's some stuff as well that's, isn't a, that's also more subtle and then some stuff that's on the nose and that is just a beautiful you know all I felt respected as a gamer at that point yeah was I, that's why I was kind of annoyed when they had that um, I just think the last of us just learned good things from TV as opposed to most video games which just learn all the bad things from <laughs> movie and TV and repeat sure. all like all the cash fees it's like we've got company I do remember um, being slightly uh, uh, annoyed but, in terms of that game uh, doing like yeah subtle things from TV when you meet that character who's gay and I was like is he gay I think he might be gay and then at the end um, you as, when he's, as he's saying goodbye and helping you push the jeep out of his uh, out of his town there's a journal in that house where his partner writes saying I don't even love you and it's basically all but saying Hey, gay friend, do you? I, I'm not as gay as you thought, and it's it's really on the nose. For, and uh, it's like, oh well, I, I felt clever for working that out. But if you felt the need to do that, okay, that's fair enough because I didn't clock it at all. Like, no, I didn't clock it normally mm. at all. So it was actually you know useful for me. It was he just was, he wasn't being gender specific when he was talking about his partner, and in way in sentences where it would have made sense, he didn't use like he, yeah, it was it was odd. It was odd. And there was only one bed, I think, in the... I can't remember. There yeah. were a few weird things. 
I say weird. Like it's a, it was very strange. I don't know what they were getting up to. <laughs> what could they possibly have been doing? What were they doing? Strange. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I like a lot of the stuff in Last of Us. I thought it was very good. It's just a bit of a masterpiece. Really. I, I, I think it is. I mean, it felt very much like end of an era as well. Though. It felt like it had taken everything that we'd learned this generation about. It, it felt like the end of the PS3 era, yeah, yes. for sure. And that's why it's almost like, I don't know, I don't, it wasn't groundbreaking. It was just like, this is fucking good. It's just, it's just strong. Really mm. strong. And I think what they did wonderfully with the um, well, what they learned from TV was actually editing. Yeah. In terms of how yeah. they changed from scene to scene. Oh, so gosh. many video games yeah. use loading yeah. screens as a fade to black. It's just being like, that scene's over, loading screen. And they kind of think, well, it's fine because we faded to black. Yeah. And then there's a loading screen and it fades out of black. And they just cut away, they cut huge swears of time or just like, yeah. just huge bits of time. Because they thought, right, that's non essential. Let's yeah. just, for, let's just, let's just glaze over that black screen. <laughs> Next, next bit. Yeah, literally a black screen. Just, months have passed. Yeah, and like, I like the bits. Even sometimes there's one bit where like Joel just like it's just he lies down and just he closes his eyes and then literally yeah yeah, yeah just cuts it's morning now morning, yeah. and it's just like you know it doesn't need to do a fade to black and then a fade. I even remember all the cuts are really effective. That cut in particular because. Joel's just exhausted and he, his eyes he genuinely falls asleep as soon as he closes yeah, his eyes yeah and then it's like that. it's day and then the other the hilarious one where um, uh, the girl I forgot her name Ellie yeah. is yeah. in the car and um, she's like I'm not tired why would I go to sleep hard <laughs> car it's raining outside <laughs> yeah. she's passed out in the back of the car <laughs> right let's do some questions hey, the questions let's do it. we didn't have time for many last time at all is that the question sting yeah that's that's me just uh, trying to find the one because I've somehow span off massively oh, I thought you faffed them there was a, I, well, I usually do but I'm using my phone because we're not recording from the same location um, somebody actually says we were all talking about quirky Japanese games on the podcast episode 5 he said I'd love to hear your thoughts on Attack of the Friday Monsters I've actually been playing that a little bit this week I've got to be honest Attack of the Friday Monsters for me is a bit too fucking twee um, <laughs> I like the idea like that. I like the idea and at times I think this is quite nice but it's oh like, that's the um, the one which is like a, yeah, you're set in Japan in the 60s yeah 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 it's yeah. a nice idea it's like a, and it's a sort of gentle story someone else, someone also asked about Catherine is that someone asked did, what, are the, what do you think about Catherine's morality so, I thought actually Catherine's morality system was really good I thought it was fine because I thought it was nice to see just how other people answered the question and how much of a jerk you might be the, uh, the morality thing of um, uh, at the end when the whole story yeah. thing on morality it, 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 it shot itself in the foot oh, well, in the foot the other yeah. foot both kneecaps the, shot the itself whole, in the head the whole game shot itself in the foot when it just went off the deep end like. yeah I was really annoyed it did that because yeah. up until that point I was actually loving the story yeah, um, and they should have just kept it as a straight up story because what I liked about that was when it asked you those questions you didn't feel like you were answering the, it was you yeah, <laughs> yeah it like, wasn't Vincent it's the sort Vincent. of questions I, what I liked about that was it was a video game that I knew when I was playing I would not feel comfortable playing that game with a partner or family mm, in the room not. and I, felt, I feel that about I feel that about a lot of video games but for the wrong reasons I feel as we talked about when we were talking about a lot of this stuff in the previous podcast about how it's like often uh, Japanese games can feel needlessly embarrassing when you want to be able to celebrate it and you kind of go oh yeah it's good but it's got all these weird Catherine stuff though you don't want to play in front of people for the right reasons yeah, yeah because it's like you know obviously it does have all the titillating stuff as well but it's part of the story right. and it, it makes sense but it's the fact that he goes like hey would it ever be right to do this and you're kind of like you start to actually really ask yourself questions about the sort of person you it's are. not even that they ask oh, would it be right to do this they just ask you would you do that 
and then and you have to just be honest with yourself and go, oh man, yeah. Well, that's the thing they mix up like left or right or whatever. Yeah. They, don't, they don't say. The thing I found funny playing it with you is the timing of it because you'd be playing it and um, you'd select your answer. And then I go, what? <laughs> you would do that to him? And then, because after you make the selection, you immediately go into the level, you're like, yeah, but why, why, why wouldn't you? But already you're climbing blocks. And trying to explain to you. While the level's begun, and you're frantically trying not to fall I think that was nice the thing. biggest thing that annoyed me about Catherine, was that just the block puzzle thing was just a bit... I think the block puzzle was yeah, less it annoying. Very it was just something you had to get through, like, yeah, to, to get, more to get to the next like, little story bit. Um, Moss Cats might as well ask this as we have the full shop and sit down crew here pretty much um, are there any good video game to board game conversions video game to board game board game to or video vice versa oh okay there is an Eve board game I've never played it no there's no good video game board I don't think so well there are lots of them but I always get the impression that they're all they're, they're based on the franchise like Bioshock Infinite it's yeah, more like, like you're selling the franchise than an interesting game yeah, yeah. honestly if people are listening to this you do, if you ever see a video game on the cover of a board game as yet you don't need to buy it licenses yeah. in general that's worth knowing though because I mean actually like it, that's not be, that's not as true to an extent in video games but it's good to know that there aren't like any that are really really good there are some like I mean the Game of Thrones board game is great but it's based on it's based on a license but not yeah. the game yes actually exactly no there are a good license but even I feel like the Game of Thrones board game I've played that a bit and it's like I feel like if it wasn't Game of Thrones I think it would be okay if it, it would be okay yeah. but it's not a better yes yes yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's fun if you know the theme but it's yeah on the other hand though uh, board game to video game conversions there are a bunch loads, of good yeah. uh, there are loads the number of good ones is probably about 5% um, <laughs> but uh, anything made by oh, what's the people that make um, Eclipse and uh, I can't remember Ascension is a great deck building game that was actually designed for iOS first and then had a physical Turned into version a physical as an thing. afterthought. Yeah, so Ascension is great. Um, you've been have, you've been playing Agricola and having an okay time with that. Yeah, well, a lot of stuff uh, turns into apps. Yeah, right? exactly. I'm really, it's really just apps. If if you have an iPad, that's where you're going to find a good board yes. game. Anything else, basically screwed. Fair enough. Well, we got a bunch of questions about what. <laughs> what Nintendo can do to turn around the Wii U's fortunes and I've covered this in the past nothing <laughs> and I'm not joking it is just fucked they've, they've pulled out as many big guns as they can and now it's fucked but anyway I'm not saying that as a negative thing it's a great shame and I'm looking forward to buying a Wii U at some point but they can't if, if they've brought out all these amazing Mario games and they've got Mario Kart coming out soon if that's not doing it they're fucked. Why can't they do lots more exciting stuff with an extra screen? That I don't is, know. Is it like a hidden secret thing? Nintendo are the masters of inventing really, really awesome, interesting systems, using them for one thing at the point at which they're released, and then talking about the potential and never doing it. Like, do you remember with the, the GBA link-up cable with the... Um, yeah, it's about install-based, just though, never isn't it? Do it? Like, I'm sure there'd be cool things on Wii U if there were... If, you know, they sold more, and I'm sure the link cable would be more useful if everyone had a link cable. Well, no, 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 that's not true, because uh, then you had the whole thing with, when I remember when uh, the Wii came out, it's like, oh, hey guys, they had that amazing idea with the GBA link cable, it was a pain in the ass. Now you've got shitloads of Wii consoles, shitloads of Nintendo DSs, go to town. Like, yeah. And they never did it. 
And now they've got loads of, quite a lot of 3DS. Well, they probably feel like they've been burned from when no, it didn't I mean, work in the past. No, they're, they're, they're basically like Nintendo. Uh, I love them and I do love their games, but they, they have to um, get up to speed from all what? their stuff. Their, their connection, their internet-based things are like oh, so yeah. hard. The Wii U is like having your tits ripped off. It's unbelievable. It's just, Up- yeah, I quite liked going on and drawing stupid pictures. Oh, no, I love that. That's awesome. Weverse is... Meverse? Meverse is amazing, but updating the Wii U is like... It's like... I, I, it's I've used my analogy, yeah. I, I, there, there's no there's no. There analogy. is no other word. I just loved, I just loved going on and painting loads of, like... A, a picture of don't get me wrong yeah I, I love all of that just terrifying versions of the fairy from Zelda with big sharp teeth yeah, and sure. then seeing all the expressions on every me's face as it, as it looks at this drawing <laughs> someone's done in fright feel? Yeah. <laughs> the thing is I, I, I love all of that stuff and I wouldn't want them to ever change that stuff but it's just simple simple shit like that other people are right now nailing like I don't have a PS4 yet and I'm not that bothered about getting one in the immediate future. However, I am probably soon going to buy a PS Vita. And the reason I'm going to buy a PS Vita is because they've got all this cross-platform yeah. play. And it means that I'm going to buy that thinking, there are some Vita games I want to play. And also knowing, it's like, I can buy games for my Vita knowing that eventually, when I get a PS4, I'll have games for it. And I know that I'll have like... And if they'd done that on the 3DS, if they'd made it so some of the games I've been buying on the 3DS I could play at home on a console screen as well... Maybe with save files linking wirelessly and all this stuff, <laughs> I would have bought one by now. And it just feels like they've got an install base on 3DS and why they're not copying Sony right now. I just don't get it. That, but, but like I say, the script, very quickly, were any of you guys at Rezzed this no, in yeah. Birmingham? The, I feel really bad. I can't remember the name of the game, but there was a game about uh, taking four marine type people into a ship, yeah, alien I saw style. This, yeah. And you play it partly with uh, a tablet and partly with a screen, and the screen shows you what the members of your squad can see and where they are, and the tablet is where you tap to issue the orders. It's just two screens doing two really different things. Uh, and you feel like you're in control of the squad because you've got their map and their data and then you're looking at the camera feeds from wow everyone. what's it for was uh, it this a was a kind of a PC um, it's very early alpha at the moment isn't it very very early and I feel bad that I can't remember it's a PC game with a tablet required yeah wow. so I don't know what the appeal will be but aside um, from a really good student project so. it's an interesting idea but it's just like the Wii already has that it's already got a screen and a big TV and what oh, you do don't get me just, started you know just, it's I just, I honestly, ideas. I honestly think that ideas. at the moment it's just, it's, it's too late. Like it's lost the steam. It needed to make some ground before the PlayStation Four and the Xbox came, Xbox One came out. Because now the problem they've got now is everyone's going, oh, well, they can still maybe do it. It's like no, because mm. we're at the point now where post E3, we're coming up to Christmas number two for these consoles. We're going to get a price drop on them, and that's it. Like as soon as you've got a, a, as soon as you've got the PS Four being like less than three hundred quid with a game. Like the Wii U's bones. Ian Bogust wrote an amazing article on uh, on Gamma Sutra when it when the Wii like this was a year ago, but talking about how the Wii U like was Nintendo going, you don't fucking know what's going on. We're gonna make something cheap and sell it for you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you've got hardcore gamers going, oh, but how will the Wii U compete? Nintendo don't probably care that much. They this is a really really tough time for AAA. And Nintendo don't want to spend God knows how much Sony. They're just basically sitting it out by feeling a really bad team, like it's a Eurovision song. Yeah, it is. is, is. No, that is a perfect analogy. Look at everything that Nintendo have made recently has been affordable to make, whether it's a Wii U or a DS or the Wii. Like 
it's working out for them. Or at least the Wii worked that's, out for them yeah. so much. And that's the thing is, that, you know what? It doesn't matter. Like, that's the thing is, I'm, I'm Nintendo actually, care less about succeeding I'm actually, than gamers. Just for the record, I'm, I'm going to stop reading these questions even without mentioning them in the future podcast because it's the same conversation every time. And the fact that Nintendo's Wii, the Wii U is fucked, but it doesn't matter because they've got so much money. They'll do something else, and the next thing might be crap. But then after that, they'll do something and it'll be great, and they'll be fine again. <laughs> they've got like they don't waste their money. They don't piss it away. Yeah, God knows how much Microsoft has lost so much on the X, so far on the Xbox. Oh God! But Nintendo probably don't have that kind of money to lose. No, they've got, I think they've got a lot. I think they made a ton of money. The Wii probably just yeah. Who knows? I they think they because they haven't rest. they haven't expanded. That's the thing is they're not like a company that's gone. Oh great! They haven't done the American thing of being like, well now we're going to have an office in every corner. <laughs> like, they, they're quite we'll see. But I every corner sense. of this building and a corner in every office. This is an easy one. Vartos says, "Do you still enjoy doing shut up and sit down?" No, no. It's a pain in the ass. So what? We have to play games. We have to dress up on video. It's a, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, it's horrid. This, Brendan. This, this podcast has been always Brendan. No, we do enjoy in, the easy reason that we enjoy enjoy <laughs> doing enjoy. shut up and sit you down. Got you got there. Is that our fans who all donate know that uh, the site will die in its if we ever stop having fun? <laughs> 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 so what we have to do is just spend an amount of time each week having fun which makes it a pretty good job if I'm honest and we, well we've got a kind of a flexible remit as well haven't we which is also a nice thing that we tend yeah, we, to we are also encouraged to cover whatever we're interested in which is why we're about to start a Star Wars well, RPG when, when Quinn oh, says get man. together every week to have some fun he means put the rest of us in what he likes to call the arena but which is actually just <laughs> a closet full of old hangers and, and we have small to, we weapons we yeah. have to fight I'm, getting, and, I'm uh, getting really good at it though you're pretty good you at are. the arena you know? <laughs> I've got a lot of scars <laughs> I'm, I'm level 8 <laughs> which means I get to hold two coat hangers <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, actually, we're very lucky there's a lot of interesting things to try I think that's it, and I think actually I, I got a couple of questions about the, especially because there's been some uh, some more controversy recently about uh, the, the way that lots of well people say YouTubers, but really we're talking about here YouTube companies, like companies yeah. founded on YouTube that have become media entities. media entities that with aspirations to transcend YouTube as a platform and take over the world, etc. And I think that that's a lot of that's really dodgy, and a lot of that I kind of like quietly knew about that that was sort of how it was happening and that's why I wanted to get away from that and that's why Christine Sharp sat down doing the Patreon thing but lots of people asked me actually there's a few questions this week about that relating to do you think the Patreon's future it's the same with Sharp sit down I think it's this thing of like it's perfect for when you've got things that are that the, the people who are doing it really enjoy doing that and but that what they do is not financially viable not financially viable using um using the old system like using yeah. advertising because the advertising model is so dependent on getting huge numbers of views I mean the stuff I'm doing you know I can't tell you the specifics but the stuff I'm doing with the escapists with the Game of Thrones bridge the like the contracts I signed with them but like way before I started doing the Patreon thing that's it's kind of that old school model thing where it's like you know I'm getting paid based on people watching it but the numbers I need to get are kind of like unrealistic <laughs> like in order to like really make much cash yeah, that's just big that's just big companies saying that the, the bigger the, they, they have all these margins to choose from and they just choose the bigger the, the bigger margin you know what I mean like like a, like a movie if a movie doesn't make above a certain amount of profit even if it makes a really good profit it won't get a sequel that's, that's <laughs> the thing yeah, but so also it's, it's like same. I think it's like I think at the moment the, the thing that I think is really important to remember is it's not like 
the sort of crowdfunding platforms are going to replace the traditional ones. It's just they're really useful for specific types of things. And it's like if you if you run a YouTube channel and you love what you love doing is making videos about. Um, kill compilations from Call of Duty or making videos about Minecraft, you don't need it. Because like, you know, if you're doing something that is already has the potential to be popular enough to be mm. then that's it just it can be. I think the interesting yeah. crowdfunding success this week was um uh an EVE Online player who wanted to oh. write a book on the history of the empires of yeah. EVE Online oh, and wow. he, he last I checked he was like five days in he'd made four times what he wanted he sat on $100,000 I mean obviously he'll have to fulfill uh, sending out books I don't know if he's doing a print version but assuming he is to all the backers but it's a great idea that's a good example of crowdfunding a yeah. really great service which appeals enormously to some it'll people. be excellent so long as he can write it in a, in a, in a compelling way in to character. the non well to the non player I don't think like, well, even, even in an accessible no, but I just mean from a historian's point of view, you need to write accessibly. <laughs> Since when do historians care about writing accessibly? Oh, the best ones do, though. Oh, no, sure, but the historians read that book and then write their own accessible you know, book. That's, that's <laughs> a really good example of what I was just saying, though, in the fact that, like, if he wanted, if somebody wants to write a history of, of Eve, then they would have to pitch it to a publisher. I mean, they'd be laughed out of the publisher. Well, they'd probably be laughed out of it. But even if they weren't, the publisher would be like, well, okay, but you have to write it to be accessible to anyone whereas obviously actually what they've done here is they've been like well no I want to write it so the people who understand Eve will just be able to get the most out of it you'd never be able to do that like, but he can with this yeah, yeah, all yeah, people funding fair, it yeah, are people point. who already know about it so it's it's specialist from the start and that's fine because all the people who bought it are going to be specialists because I can't imagine people who <laughs> <who'd fund laughs> on a whim yeah oh even online I've heard about that yeah I'll put $30 on a book, <laughs> that's the, a book that's about. the only thing then well uh, Eve Online, I like it, but I'm not a specialist in it, so I would like to read. I'll, I'll read the abridged version of it. Like sure, book. the Cliff Notes. <laughs> the um, yeah, I think it's it's not even just crowdfunding though, because what we do at Shut Up and Sit Down is slightly different in that we do offer mm. a physical product, and it's I don't know. I think the internet right now is just a thousand different ways of making money, none of which might one of which is probably perfect for you. You know, whether that's selling you know your socks on Etsy or doing yeah. gold club bags like we do, or just Asking for money, you know, which some people do. It's it's complicated. I Maybe mean, I should just do yeah. that, just ask for money. I think the thing is, it is complicated. <laughs> 20p, mate. You're at 20p. I have. <laughs> oh, my God, it works. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cliche, and obviously, I mean, I'm in a biased position to say this, but I do think, I think it's a Wild West, and it is a case of the fact that the, because it's a Wild West at the moment, because we are in this new territory, there are a lot of people doing unscrupulous things. But I think a lot of the people who are doing unscrupulous things are actually on the traditional media funding <laughs> side of things. So it is, it's fair to be like, you know, well, raising your eyebrows. It's interesting you say that because I feel like people who have, like your your patron was based on you being quite transparent. Yeah. And saying, right, uh, and a lot of, I've, I'd like to think a lot of our success for Shut Up and Sit Down is us trying to be kind of, showing people right this is exactly what you're going to get you know who we are already you know what we care about you we've know been doing we it do. for years already Here's, like we're sending out the packages and we've been we're doing package two now and we showed people everything that was in package number one and obviously you know everyone tweeted about what packages they got and you know hopefully it's all kind of obvious to people I think, what's happening I think that's the thing is having the transparency and we obviously we joke about it in the videos of being like what do you get well nothing really <laughs> <laughs> just how you're just helping this to continue but that's it's to the point and I think there's it is I mean that's the thing that appeals to some people I think so honesty I hope I think yeah I think so I mean I really did want to I did want to make the point when I was starting off the whole thing I'm doing about the fact that so much of the traditional games media system is inherently a bit dodgy and no one talks about and it no, no one, one really no one really to. people kind of talk about 
but no one really wants to wade in. And I didn't want to too much, but at the same time, it would have been so easy. And I'm sure there are people doing this, or will be more people doing it, of making the thing of actually funding things off the back of going, those guys are fuckers. <laughs> Give me money, because everything else is shit. And it's like, you know, it's, it's easy to do that and rile people up. But I think transparency and honesty is, yeah, because I think that the, tr- the truth of the matter is everything's a bit shit. Uh, but but let's not be like try and get people angry about that and getting people to spend money in an angry way. It's just everything's being like, a bit shit. Everything's a bit shit. You know but I'm gonna do this. And it's weird. gonna be a bit better. And if you want to get involved with that, then we should do that. That's <laughs> a strange thing where you'd think Kickstarter and crowdfunding would lead to an age of like total transparency, where like the people are able to see where the money goes. But if anything, I feel like crowdfunding these days has actually made it more complicated. Like if mm. you wanted to. Uh, there are a few Kickstarters which I can't really name now but where we know that the money isn't all going where people even might think it yeah. is yeah. and that's a whole other ethical thing which people probably don't realise but it's it's all complicated it's, it's even more sort of misty and confusing and especially ethically complicated than it was before maybe. it is and I mean actually one of the things I'm really worried about is uh, oh that's your ice cream oh my god that's the end of the podcast, podcast everyone yeah, yeah, let's, let's finish this up let's finish this up uh, <laughs> 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 I'm going gotta go gotta go sorry guys <laughs> you got you guys end it, um, uh, but, but no. I mean, somebody. One of the questions I get quite often, and I'm really worried about, is people going, "Oh, you know, you're ne- you're nearing kind of, um, you know, nearing three thousand dollars a month on the Patreon. What are you going to like? What, what are your plans for for it's increased content and stuff?" And it's like, I don't know, because <laughs> at the moment, like, I've kind of bitten off too much work than I can share. Yeah. And obviously, I'm doing the shop sit down stuff that spikes up in. And I've obviously, I was well transparent with people about this from the start. That yeah. at the moment, we are in the midst of a cardboard. Uh, empire empire oh, and yeah. putting together the, the, the goodie bags that go out to the donors and that happens four times a year so four times a year for about two weeks I'll just be well busy but then in between it's like I'm already working at max capacity and I'm looking forward to the escapist gig ending so I can have more time it's important to note that you know these people are welcome to support you but it's not like you ever said there would be a sliding scale no I know, I know I know but that's the thing is it, I think it's more to do with the fact that inherently expectations do shift yeah and I find it interesting though because it's like as an individual I feel like there's already people going snarkily looking and going oh he's, what's he going to do with that then eh it's kind of <laughs> weird though I mean if you wrote if you say you wrote a book and you say I need this much money to write a book and it'll be uh, you know about this song it's a novella or it's a novel or whatever if you got loads and loads of support for it you couldn't suddenly say well now the book's twice as big unless yeah. you're George R.R. Martin if you're delivering a thing you deliver a thing it's just more people now want the thing and maybe surely that's okay well, no, that's the thing is it's, it's almost like the whole process and the way that Kickstarters tend to work is changing the mentality of that stretch goals you know it's I, like, I think yeah. stretch goals can be okay for some people in some situations but I think they're actually potentially really dangerous well, was a, yeah, yeah. a very important realization for us I mean just after we launched the Shut Up and Sit Down uh, funding we received an amount of money and we and I was thinking about it and going okay well that's a, that's a bit more than I was expected so we have to do a bit more work And then, yeah. I, but, but no if you do that the thing that these people are supporting can collapse because we're yeah. all human we're all creative as well and creativity is like so precious and like it can just be ruined if you stop having fun or or you become uninspired or, or tired or stressed so no the, you have to be careful if you try and do twice the work for twice the money 
you'll end up with nothing. You do, and I've talked about this in the, the weekly update videos I do. I've actually almost fallen into a trap immediately of feeling like, oh, fuck, all this money's coming. I've got, <laughs> I've got to do stuff. And so because of that, I've been like, oh, I've got to do stuff. And I've started all these yeah, like weekly series. It just means so. you can stretch it out and make it last longer. And do the, oh, well, it, the problem is it just means that it's like, oh, well, I end up, I end up starting loads of series, weekly stuff. So I've got like a weekly XCOM thing, a weekly Dark Souls thing, a weekly podcast. And then before you know it, you're just like, I don't have time to do it like anything else. else because I've like filled so I'm kind of like once those things are over I'm like very seriously the problem is it's just it's not like I feel beholden to fans but when I have like maybe two or three people going oh Matt please do an XCOM playthrough it's like yeah I'd like to do that and it would be fun for you guys and I know a number of people who follow my stuff would like that but it's so easy just to let like if you're not careful just to let your time just fill up with everything and when people are like but I don't know I, I can see that it will happen it will happen it happens to anything like you know it'll get to a point mm. where that number will hit a certain amount and people will go, how much is he doing for that? It's not very much, is it? Like, it's like, I can't work any harder than working. But it's like, other than being like, maybe I can start cloning myself or hiring someone else, but that's difficult as well. Yeah, yeah, you need to set up a whole new Patreon. For not a lot of people know this, but Paul is my uh, clone. And, uh, yeah, that's and true. Work. <gasps> it's a resemblance. Like, <laughs> like, this is like the end of the... Oh! <laughs> Oh, oh I've, I've just, I have to bleep it out twice now. I was going to bleep that out. <laughs> but it's a film you might have seen. You probably, you probably even with the bleep, you'll be able to work out what the film is uh, if you've seen it. Anyway, let's wrap it up. And that's been Dark Souls episode seven. If you have enjoyed wait, it. Wait, I want to know if I'm going to be in your XCOM squad. All right, I'll put You're you in. You're in my XCOM squad. Oh, yeah, like you've Valentine's got three Day. aliens. You've got three aliens with yeah. one grenade. Yeah. All right, what happened to me? And you're, you're not in it yet. No. <laughs> I've tried to wait until I've got like the right flag. I've actually just hired a bunch of new recruits um, yeah. this morning. I recorded an episode before. I Both you and Quinn's are heavy weapons people, which <laughs> makes right. sense. But this was just how it how it turned out. It was just the roles <laughs> you were given. Yeah, and not dead yet. Excellent. That's good news. Well, I'll add you all and let you know how I get on. But uh, I'm sorry. I should let you wrap up. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's all good. I, I fucking I could talk about XCOM forever. No, oh, we should wrap up. I need to pee. <laughs> Dark Souls again. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Matt Lee is joined by pretty much all of Shut Up and Sit Down, which is an amazing board game site you should read. Anyway, it's true. Or watch. It's got videos. Technology. Yeah. <laughs> joined by Quinton Smith. Bye, everybody. Paul Dean. Bye, everyone. And Brendan Cowell. Bye, bye. Bye.